I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. I'm Carl Mack, and this is Combat Chronicles. Uh, a lot to talk about today because a lot has happened. We're going to start off with some boxing and then move, I imagine, seamlessly, but we haven't got there yet, so it might be a complete mess. But move into the MMA uh, from this past weekend, headlined by the UFC card in Paris, but a little bit from elsewhere as well because it's been an interesting uh, weekend of fights and there's a lot going on. But going to start off with a bit of news. Um, and the big news in boxing this week, although there's been a lot of uh, boxing this week, which we'll get to, Fury versus Usyk. I was actually genuinely hopeful this would be made for December. I know people think I'm a fantasist, and it, it appears that uh, I am, but it's just a weird fight, so I assumed something weird was going to happen with it. But it seems that Usyk wants February. Um, Fury is now not happy about that. From being completely uninterested in fighting Usyk, is now pivoting to tell everyone that Usyk's uh, ducking him and all these other such things. So, well, is the audio clip of Anthony's performance against Usyk? Um, I thought it was a lackluster, um, limited performance. And what did you think of his post-fight comments? He's been gotten, you know, a lot of uh, yeah, scrutiny I for that. All that, but I'm not one to jump on somebody like that. I don't give a what somebody says, that's up to them. Right. None of my business. Was there a part of you that felt bad for him? It seemed like he was very emotional in that moment. Uh, listen, everyone has to do what they have to do in life, and you know, it's none of my business what he does after the fight. Mm-hmm. My my job is boxing. Not what he said. I've said tons of in the past. I don't want judging on it. Not, my job is boxing, you know. So I judge these guys on their boxing performances, not on what they do outside of boxing. No interest in that. Is that fight dead forever? Or is there a chance it could happen? You versus AJ, finally, well, despite the loss. I, I still think, even though he's, he's lost three of his last five fights, I still think that people would like to see that fight. Um, so if Usyk can't be ready, doesn't want to fight for whatever reason, you know, middleweight against a giant behemoth heavyweight, you know, I understand why he doesn't want it. If that fight doesn't happen, then we'll go um, and offer AJ the fight. But for you, if you had your choice, who would be next? Um, whoever, whoever. You don't have a preference? I, I'd take the middleweight because that's the easiest fight, to be right. fair. Questions by Errol Hawani, obviously, um, for BT Sport. Um, Tyson Fury can't seriously think that Usyk is the easiest fight, he's in downplaying mode, uh, seems, I've seen people online say like he's playing the heel to try and sell the fight, well, if you're trying to sell the fight, why are you trying to tell everyone that it's an easy fight, um, he can't possibly think that, he can't possibly think that Usyk's an easier fight than AJ, who he uh, says at the beginning of that clip, uh, just put forward a lacklustre performance, he often calls him a bodybuilder, um, so there's no way that Fury actually 
believes that. The weird thing, of course, that Fury's full of contradictions. This is a guy that was happily retired the other week. He's now coming out of retirement to fight Usyk. That fight's now not happening in December, but he seems to be willing to take another fight. So we pivot to the next point, which is, who's he going to fight next? Now, I had a long think about this. Um, originally intended to record this podcast on Sunday, but something came up. Uh, originally intended to record this podcast Monday night, and something unfortunately came up. So I'm now recording this podcast on Tuesday. I'm not even sure when you're going to hear it, because there's just a lot going on right now in uh, outside of combat sports, in, in IRL, as the kids say. Um you know, the question is, who's Fury going to fight next? And I gave it some thought. And, you know, the obvious candidates are Derek Chisora. Uh, that was already mooted as a possible fight. A third fight with Derek Chisora. Um, Derek Chisora, who's uh, past his best, who Fury's already beaten twice, uh, on the run-up as prospects. Twice, essentially. Um, but the second time, when they were more established at world level, um, the earlier fight, the first fight, was more of a domestic dust-up. So, yeah, Fury clearly is superior and as a title fight, which essentially is WBC champion and lineal champion, um, even though he basically has lost the ring magazine due to his insistence he was retired, only to U-turn a week later, um, Fury Chisora doesn't do anything. Um, the other ones, uh, Manuel Char, now known as Mahmoud Char, um, who apparently on Instagram said they were going to fight. I mean, that is... Anyone who's had the displeasure of having to watch Char over the years, um, yeah, possibly one of the worst outcomes um uh, Caboyal was another one which came up they've mooted that fight before undefeated highly ranked by the WBC not up to much um if you've seen him uh yeah I mean I wouldn't mind it it's no worse than when he fought uh oh what's the uh lad called not Tom Schwartz what's his name I'm not going to search it because it's cheating I mean I talk about this guy uh fair enough uh a fair amount because um He's a southpaw, and I use him as a kind of comparison for how Otto Wallin. So if he can fight Otto Wallin, he can fight Caballero, but not particularly interested in that either. Um, Yeah, guys, see, I don't know everything. If I forget names, I'm not going to edit out and go and box rank. I'll I'll be honest when I'm when I'm being stupid. Um, And I thought myself, well, I tell you, ain't got a fight, and and completely you know derided it when it came out. Francis Ngannou, that's a fight, that's a freak show fight, because not only is it just a complete freak show fight and a mess of a fight, and it actually has more intrigue for me than Fury fighting some non... I mean, Francis Ngannou legitimately is a more interesting opponent for Tyson Fury than than, than Char. I mean that. People say, well, how can a ranked boxer be any less than, than a debutante, essentially, a mixed martial artist? Watch Charles fights and tell me you wouldn't rather see the spectacle that is Fury versus Ngannou. I was on um, Steve Bunce's radio show years ago and I said, um, spectacle's great in boxing. You know, it's not like it's a dangerous matchup. Yeah, Ngannou will probably get battered and stopped, but segue into the podcast I did on the Patreon this week, if you haven't heard it, um, last week, which is a very long, I think, 90-minute uh, podcast on Mayweather versus McGregor. Yes, at the time, certain contingent of uh, sports fans, boxing fans, MMA fans, whatever, was saying, oh, it's a joke, no one wants to see it. That's true. But actually, the fight was somewhat interesting. It got a lot of people talking. It made everyone a lot of money. And, you know, a lot of people have seen, I've seen, I don't know what he's saying, a lot of people. Some people on Twitter I saw saying, look, Francis deserves a payday. And for me, in a sporting sense, 
I'd rather see Fury fight Usyk. That's that's the big thing. But if they're actively trying to make that, and it's not an option, that's what I'm saying. If Fury actually wants to fight December before unifying with Usyk in May or whatever, fine. Make the Ngannou fight. Make everyone some money. Fury wins. Whatever. To the moron who said Ngannou only needs one punch. I can't believe you think you're, you know, an actual pundit. Um, fuck off. That's not how this is going to work. You do realise that Fury's fought Wilder three times, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, whatever. Ngannou will take a beating, get some money, and, and whatever. Um, probably might help him in the long run make more money in MMA. I'm not sure. It might make some new fans. But ESPN, I'm sure, would push for it. I have no idea if it's got any possibility of happening. No one's talking about it. I don't know if Francis has recovered from his injuries. But, yeah, Fury against any old joker doesn't really interest me. Um, but anyway, I've, I've thought about all this. There is a reason for this chatter. I've thought about all this. And then this happened. Hey, Tyson Fury here, a.k.a. the Gypsy King, the WBC heavyweight champion of the world, as you can tell. Um I think you've all heard that I'm going to be fighting uh, soon within the next few months. And I think that before I announce an opponent, that I need to do this, just in case. Anthony Joshua, I know you've just lost a fight to Usyk, and you're doubtless at the moment. Um, and I'd like to give you an opportunity to fight me for the WBC Heavyweight Championship of the World and the Lineal Championship in the next few months. You're coming off a 12-round fight, so you're match fit, you're ready. Um, I'm giving you a few months' notice. Uh, if you're interested, I'll send you the date over and we can rumble. A battle of Britain for the WBC Heavyweight Championship of the World. Let me know if you're interested. If not, I will select another opponent. Thank you very much and good night. Boom. Fury calls out Joshua, a fighter who he himself is described as lacklustre. Um... A fighter who he recognises, uh, as you heard in the earlier clip, is not really someone who needs piling on right now. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's picking essentially a money fight. It's something he still thinks could potentially be a money fight, as he alluded to in that earlier interview as well. I think the plan was always to fight Joshua. I think he was desperate for him to beat Usyk in, in that uh, rematch so he could have the big fight. Um, Joshua's recently spoken about a quick turnaround and fight in December. I certainly don't think Eddie Hearn and Joshua were... Uh, planning on him jumping straight in with Fury. I would assume something a lot more uh, lower level. Um, they've spoken about sort of a world tour of, you know, um, Joshua running around to smashing people up, essentially. I don't really think the market's there for Joshua in that regard now. I'm sure he's got some uh, degree of popularity. I'm, I'm sure I spoke about this in the Usyk-Joshua uh, recap uh, a couple of weeks on this podcast or on Heavy Hands for that instance when I was on there talking about it. So I won't go over it again. But calling out Joshua... If it is indeed a fight just between this and Usyk, I'm fine with it. Um, Joshua looked pretty good against Usyk. I think he's clearly got some issues he has to work on. Don't think he's much of a stylistic threat for Fury at all. My serious worry is that Fury will smash Joshua up. All the casual fans will say, we've well, done much better than Usyk did. Look, he just destroyed Joshua. Um, and then Fury will ride off in the sunset with a la one last big payday with no need whatsoever to fight Usyk. And that fight will never happen. I believe that's an honest possibility. So yeah, best options for Fury would be, honestly, Francis Ngannou or Anthony Joshua. Be fine with either of those fights. I think he'll take a far lesser opponent than either of them, um, or far less interesting opponent than either of them, um, which I actually am hopeful for because 
as for instance a fight with Chisora or Char, that is going to be a stay busy fight, and he's more likely to then fight Usyk. Although I wouldn't be, still wouldn't be surprised if he tried to pivot to Joshua again. I would not be surprised. Um, so yeah, mixed things from Fury this week. Someone who's a long time fan of him, I'm struggling to stay up uh, as a fan at the moment. He's doing my head in um, with all these. Yeah, just it's a shit patter. It's not good trash talk. It's really bad. This whole Usyk the middleweight. I mean, it's a guy who's been cutting weight to make the cruiserweight limit for ten years, um, and is now you know fully fledged uh, heavyweight, weighing about as much as George Foreman did in his prime, or just about under that, um, with the same height of reach as Muhammad Ali. Even if you take into account the fact that um, Fury is one of the, the few legendary. Uh, Super heavyweights, shall we say, Lennox Lewis, the Klitschko brothers, that sort of thing. Um, and in terms of legendary, I mean, in terms of super heavyweights that are actually not uh, cumbersome oafs. He's actually a really good fighter and, and, and a legitimate proposition for anyone head to head in the history of, of the division. Um, even given that, uh, Usyk is a legitimate heavyweight and bigger than some of the guys that have given uh, Fury some hassle before. So don't think you should dismiss him so easily if he's trying to sell the fight. The fact he is dismissing him makes me think that he really doesn't want the fight. He's trying to put a narrative in place uh, that he can keep falling back on when the fight doesn't happen. One super fight we do know that's going to be happening in December is the long-awaited rubber match between Juan Francisco Estrada and Ramon Gonzalez. Um, made uh, more likely by the fact that Estrada won this weekend against Ahi Cortez. Cortez, relatively unnotable fighter and challenger, but Estrada seemed intent in punching holes for him. And Estrada, who for me, is still one of the best 10 pound-for-pound fighters in boxing. Um, and an excellent all-terrain fighter. Great counter-puncher. Uh, good boxer. Could fight going forward. Uh, decent pressure fighter. Unfortunately, the latter is basically all we saw from him in this fight. He seemed adamant um, that Cortez was a level below him and he was going to walk through him. Did not make the adjustment once that wasn't uh, clearly wasn't going to happen. Um, did get a knockdown later on the fight. A nice combo into a body shot. But Estrada seemed intent that early on he was looking for this, trying to lead him in a check left hook. Later on he was trying to punch for him with the uh, sort of uh, right hand, for the overhand right. He just seemed adamant that he was going to try and walk for him and get a finish. And Estrada's not a big puncher. So what you end up having was a very fun, really fun, fight with a guy who's a couple of levels below him, really, um, or should be. And it makes me wonder... Uh, I think Estrada, you know, early on, really early on, his reflexes look fine. I don't think he's a shot fighter or anything like it. Um, I just, he's going to need a far better game to take on Gonzalez. Simple fact. So, yep, notable fighter, Estrada. Absolutely brilliant. One of the best uh, lower weight fighters of recent years. Um, probably the last decade, really. Just an excellent fighter. And uh, happy to see him win. Really happy to go on to the uh, Chocolatito uh, third fight. Their first fight was an all-time classic. Their second fight was really good, in my opinion. It got a bit too much, uh, a bit, a few too many plaudits, in my opinion. It was good, um, but I didn't think it was great. Um, but this third one, you know, fuck me. It's one of the most anticipated fights going. Um, on the undercard, a fair bit to talk about. First thing I want to talk about, Eduardo Rocky Hernandez, my favourite prospect in boxing, even though he, he, he was destroyed by a... a Roger Gutierrez, who up until recently looked to be a pretty decent uh, bout holder himself, um, 
that was a concern. But Rocky Hernandez fought the undefeated uh, Jorge uh, Cuella, who I had not seen before, and Hernandez pretty uh, routine performance. He's got very fast hands, really quality pressure fighter, awesome combination puncher, punches really fucking hard. He's still only 24 years old. He's 33 and one with 30 knockouts. Um, yes, was splattered inside a round by the uh, very dangerous Gutierrez, but I don't think anyone really realised how dangerous he was at the time. Um, and he went on to have a, a decent run as, as a belt holder, as I say. So that loss looks uh, better in retrospect, but still definitely a concern. But one to watch out for, I promise you guys. I've loved this guy since he was a prospect. How many fights did he have before I got on the bandwagon? Let's have a look. Let's have a look and see what he was. Do 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 do. I'm gonna do it in real time because as I say, I'm not gonna not gonna not gonna lie and just pretend that I know what it was. Uh, okay, so it was the Victor Tarasis fight that I really was um, uh, impressed with because he's a former he was a former uh, belt holder down at. Super Bantamite, if I remember correctly. So at that point, he'd add uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This is quality podcasting. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 fights. So that was his 20th fight. So I've been on the bandwagon since then. I think he was a teenager at that point, and that's why I sort of sat up and took notice. A fighter that I was appreciative of in Victor Terrasas, and he got absolutely fucking battered by this teenager. Um, and you see a Mexican teenager beating a, a former well-ranked fighter, and you think... Oh, this is this is definitely worth watching, and he has been worth watching, all bar that one blip. One fight that absolutely is worth watching was the IBF light flyweight title fight between Sivanafi uh, Nonchinga and Hector Flores. Uh, just a ludicrous, a ludicrous uh, barn burner of a fight. Um, Nonchinga earlier on at range uh, got a knockdown, looked really clean. Uh, nice work from mid range, nice uh, punch picking, but Flores just embroiled him in a uh, in, in some trench warfare, and most of the belt was fought shoulder to shoulder. Um, whenever Nonchinga uh, did get on his toes again and pop his jab, he looked real clean, looked in in command. But Flores just so tenacious, kept cutting the, cutting the distance, kept chucking his his head in, of which it was a bloodbath, by the way. Um, and his output was freakish. Um, both of them were, but Flores just absolutely crazy in terms of the amount of punches he could throw. Just keep going. Nonchinga, uh, a winner. They're obviously going to run that back. Um, there's, there's zero chance they won't. As I always say, though, like flyweight, shit hot weight class, shit hot weight division. Always get some bangers down there. Um, speaking of which, a banger has been made. Uh, we speak about super fights. Uh, Roman Gonzalez versus Juan Francisco Estrada. Going over to Japan, we are going to be seeing, at last, the long-awaited light flyweight unification bout between Kiyoguchi and Kenshiro. Just an amazing fight, um, an amazing clash of styles, and one for the ages. Um, you don't really get to see uh, all Japan unification fights too often, so this is great. But also, you don't get to see too many uh, unifications down at light flyweight, so this is great to see. Um, it's more than likely that the winner of this fight may well cement themselves it's one of the 10 greatest light flyweights of all time, which is no small achievement given how many great fighters have passed through their ranks. Staying in Japan, we're going to transition over MMA with a bit of MMA news before we go over to the uh, belt uh, summary and analysis of the fights on the weekend. Floyd Mayweather versus uh, Mikuro Asakura, which is the freak show fight nobody asked for uh, on Rising, uh, I think this month, 
is going to be carried on Fight TV, especially uh, at least in the UK. I imagine worldwide. I think it's about twenty dollars or you know thereabouts in British pounds, seventeen ninety nine or something like that. Um, can't expect me to fact check. Come on, guys. Um, so yeah, the fight is happening. We are be able to watch it. I hope that means uh, more for international rising broadcast as is because it's become more difficult since the live now. Uh, deal ended and it's gone over to this rising streaming which is a nightmare for anyone outside of japan so i really hope that we can see more rising cards if it takes floyd mayweather to get it done uh whatever uh, there's more of interest on that card but yeah again uh, floyd mayweather versus uh mikuro asakura not quite floyd mayweather versus uh conor mcgregor um but should be less depressing than floyd mayweather versus tension nascawa again if you haven't listened to it, if you're wondering why I keep going on about Floyd versus Connor, check out the Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. That'll be the only plug that I go for on this podcast. One fight I didn't mention, actually, boxing-wise, was Andy Ruiz versus Luis Ortiz. But actually worth a watch, as far as heavyweights go. Probably could have mentioned it earlier, um, although I don't really think that either is a, a viable opponent for uh, Fury in December. But that one's worth watching as well. Um, good couple of knockdowns from Ruiz, still got fast hands. I still think, even though he looks in better shape than he did for the Joshua rematch, this guy can lose probably another £50. Pounds. I honestly believe that. Um, Ortiz, he's old. He's probably nearly 60. Um, he's still decent and uh, made Ruiz look pretty foolish at times. Um, but Ruiz has just got a hell of a fucking chin on him. He really, really has. And uh, fast hands, powerful, good dig. Um, that was the difference. A uh, couple of knockdowns there. And... Uh, both of them will be interesting going forward. They're two top 10 heavyweights that are decent, uh, even at this stage of, of both of their careers. And Lord knows the heavyweight division needs depth. So happy to see them uh, go on. And yeah, the fight itself at its moment, so worth watching. But I did say we're pivoting over to MMA, and thus we are going to stay with MMA. Uh, UFC Paris this past weekend. Now, nah, fuck it. Let's stay with the big fat guys. Let's stay with the big fat guys. We all want to hear me talk about Royal Whitaker. And Cyril Garn. But let's not talk about Robert Whitaker and Cyril Garn. Let's pivot over to AMC Fight Nights. Not just because we saw something uh, interesting and notable from a sort of rules perspective that's worth uh, talking about. But because we saw a fucking travesty. And also because it allows me to live out my nostalgia of being young and my weebness. Um, as I talk about uh, Peter Romankiewicz versus Zulu Zeno. For those that are not aware of who Zilo Zeno is, um, you may have seen him from other more notable fighters' highlight reels. Um, he came into Pride uh, back in the day as highly touted as some 300-0 street fighter. Um, he'd had a couple of uh, bouts beforehand, MMA bouts. He's most notable for being the gargantuan, giant, and uh, immensely fat um, son of legendary uh, Brazilian uh, mixed martial artist or, or Luta Libra fighter uh, or Vale Chudo fighter, um, Hey Zulu, who fought um, Hicks and Gracie back in the 80s. So has some name value. Everyone was talking about that sort of, you know, that sort of history element of MMA when they were fans back then because we were still on the Gracie train. It was still seen as kind of the start of MMA and thus people wanted to talk about fighters from their eras and and preceding the UFC and therefore Hey Zulu was a guy who was somewhat uh, notable and you can actually put up footage of uh, I think his second fight with Hicks and Gracie um, or certainly you know really 
fucking massively popular fight with with Higgs and Gracie. I think from the sort of early eighties. Um, uh, but Zuluzino was awful. That's the problem. That's what I'm trying to get. He wasn't very good. Um, Fedor absolutely fucking battered him. Big Nog didn't have much issue with him either. And Butterbean fucking tapped him out with a key lock. Um, I mentioned that one because, uh, A, that's notable because Butterbean's a slugger and he tapped out Zuluzino. Um, but also because in a weird kind of... What's the way of putting this? Uh... I don't know, I guess it's the whole red letter media George Lucas joke of uh, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Uh, Zulu Zeno nearly had a key lock going here um, or was working on something from Mount in this fight here. Was stood up in the midst of pulling off a submission and then absolutely, immediately trounced, wiped out, fucking sparked, flat out, pancaked on the canvas. Dangerous fashion by Roman Kevich. Um, not the fighter's fault. And immediately the idea, the notion was that, well, this is a scam. The local guy's going to lose. They've stood him up, given him a better chance, and he's won. But it turns out that AMC Fight Nights have a rule in place that if you're mounted for more than a minute, they will stand you back up. Sorry, if you're on the ground for more than a minute, they will stand you back up. Now, I seem surprised at this, but someone pulled up an earlier tweet where I'd actually commented on it. When it was originally announced earlier on in the year, and the whoever I was speaking to said, "Look, this shouldn't be counted as MMA." And I said, "Look, there's a lot of different rule sets in MMA, and it's still MMA, even if they've got a certain idea for stand-ups." Um, you know, often some, some idiot before told me that Shooto wasn't MMA because of their weird rules, and it's like, look, every, there's been different rule sets throughout MMA history. There still are now. You can't tell me that just UFC or you know, or if it's in a ring and head stomps, that's fine. But UFC, okay, it doesn't have head stomps or grounded knees, but that's also fine. That's also MMA. And, you know, we have referees sometimes that stand guys up quicker. What are you saying? I'll, we'll avoid that. That's not a real mixed martial arts contest. The rule set here is is that, okay? They stand you up after a certain amount of time. I do think that referees should be smart enough to be told that if there is, they're in the midst of an actual submission attempt, then they shouldn't do that. Because you could be deep on an RNC, but they go, up. Oh, 60 seconds has passed, up you get, guys. I bet they wouldn't do that for the local fire. So, yeah, interested in the sense that um, Zulu Zeno would have picked up a win. Um, it's, what's his record now? His current record, and he's due to fight again, which I can't see happening. That was at the end of the month. He just got absolutely fucking destroyed. Uh 12 wins and 11 losses by looks fit, something like that. Um, yeah, 12, 11, and 0. So, yeah, um, the nostalgia merchant in me would have loved Zuluzino to win. Um, the MMA analyst in me knows that this fight is not at all important in the grand scheme of things. But if you want to see a weird, and I say freak show fight again, fucking hell, what's more MMA than this? Uh, if you want to see a really weird freak show fight uh, culminating in a fucking horrendous knockout then go on Kaposa's page or whoever you can find that shared highlights of this fight and check it out because it is worth it. And um, I'll be interested in everyone's thoughts, what they think about this particular rule set. Obviously, I imagine most people are going to say they find it a shambles. But from shambles MMA to somewhat ponderous MMA, but also some good MMA, UFC Paris, in which we will wrap up this podcast because there was some interesting stuff that happened and I'm only going to talk about that, not the shit stuff.
even though it's not the main event, I am actually going to lead with uh, Robert Whitaker versus Marvin Vittori. Um, because I just love Robert Whitaker and I find him, he was he's clearly the best fighter on this card. Um, he's the most talented, the most skilled, the greatest fighter on this card. Whatever you want to uh, throw it in, Robert Whitaker is the fucking man. And he is one of the best number ones, i.e. number one contenders, uh, number two in the division that we've probably ever had. Um, he's a phenomenal 185 pounder and uh, just another excellent showing, uh, far outstripping the champion, Israel Adesanya's performance against Vittori, in my opinion. Um, and it was really nice. Um, everything that Rob did was really good, um, mainly on the, on the open side with the kicks and the right hand. Um, loved the snap kick to start, start it up and then intercepting Vittori's rushes with a high kick or with the counter right hand. Um, Vittori is tough as old boots. He really is fucking nails. We're talking about all-timers. Guy's got an amazing chin. Um, I saw uh, Shinsuke, who's previously appeared on this podcast when I did the the match super pod, say that Vittori's like a sort of like a creator fighter of all his skill level at like 60 um, or whatever it was. And that's basically right. You know, he's kind of like, not even jack of all trades, master of none. He's just kind of, he's got, a bit of everything, but he's not particularly great. Apart from the fact he's insanely durable, um, and obviously not a terrible, you know, grappler type and wrestler. He's not awful by any means. Um, not a massive banger either. Um, but yeah, just extremely tough. The thing with Atori, what was a big problem for him was he was trying to close distance quickly with sort of quick uh, forward steps, but he wasn't trying to cut the cage off in it. He was just going in a straight line. One step forward, and Robert Whitaker was really easily able to time these rushes and intercept uh, Vittori trying to close the distance and just twat him every time he came in, really. So the first round was sort of nip and tuck, but I would probably say it doesn't really matter anyway because the second and third rounds are where Rob pulled away, landed a lot of clean work, probably would have got lesser chins out of there, I think, um, because he was cracking Vittori really hard. Um... There was a particularly hard uh, right high kick um, as Vittori was coming in that knocked him back on his heels. There were some sharp right hands. And in the third round, uh, Whitaker just, for the laugh of it, uh, just took him down with a blast double for the fun of it. Um, it's a really interesting position that Robert Whitaker's in because he seems to be, uh, and we haven't seen the Adesanya Pereira fight yet, but he seems to be the only guy who can actually push Adesanya close enough to potentially beat him. I mean, there, there's there's people capable of drawing a tepid performance out of Adesanya, but regardless of what you think about the Romero fight, I don't think anyone was really clamouring for that decision to be overturned. Rest of, unlike what a certain uh, allegedly fellatio performing uh, meme account on Twitter says, um, the adesanya Whitaker rematch was genuinely closely contested and hotly debated uh, in the aftermath. So there is that. There is the case that if Pereira beats Adesanya, which I'm not, I don't think he's going to, uh, see my previous podcast on that, um, that Whitaker versus Pereira is a real hot ticket. I think we'd love to see it. Um, but <sighs> Whitaker was speaking last week about potentially going to 205. I just pray. I, I just love... I don't pray because I'm not religious in the slightest, but I'd be so hopeful that Whitaker could have some sort of Jose Aldo to 135 transformation and safely make 170. Because even though I think he's clearly more durable at 185, um, I just would love to see him down at 170, which has got 
it's, it's generally, you know, he's an anti-wrestler anyway, so he'd be incredible against the, the strong grapplers that are there. Um, but you're telling me that you wouldn't love to see Robert Whitaker fight this Robert Whitaker fight Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman, Kamzat Chimaev, Shavkat Rachmanov. I mean, it that division needs more depth. There's some on the way. I've said before, the great thing at 170 is there's new blood coming in. But can you imagine if you chucked this version of Robert Whitaker in as well? It'd be absolutely incredible. Um, I think it's unlikely. You know, he's quite a thick boy at 185, even if he's not the biggest. Um, and as I say, probably title aspirations for him. He's probably looking at the winner of Adesanya versus Pereira. 185 is, you know, if, if I want to chuck Bobby Knuckles in the 170 to bolster their ranks, my God, 185 would struggle without him, um, as we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, it doesn't really appear to be much depth there at all right now. But yeah, awesome performance from Whitaker. Nothing really concerning from him. Vittori's just sort of tough now. We're very much uh, aware of his level. I see there's a lot of uh, Marvin Vittori uh, fanboys out there. That's absolutely fine. Uh, I'm more than happy for anyone to be enamoured of any fight they want. But just don't tell me that he's world class because he's not. Uh, Rob Whitaker is though. He's absolutely fucking brilliant. And uh, I love the guy. Genuinely, I've said before, like there's not many fighters nowadays that I genuinely love. Like actually like... I've said about Usyk being in boxing, uh, but Whitaker, just a massive fan of him, and uh, continues to prove me right for for, for being so on a, on a regular basis. An actually decent heavyweight main event: Cyril Garn versus Tai Tuivasa. Um, interesting fight. Um, let's talk about the dynamic of the first couple of rounds first, because um, first round sort of Garn sort of doing his usual thing, attacking the legs, uh, popping out the jab. Ty's trying to get close with the right hand, and it's really interesting the adaptation from both men, and it stems really from this round. Uh, what we see in this first round is Ty to Avassa trying uh, different sort of ways to leverage his right hand. We see um, he tries at one point to uh, counter Garn's backhand with a overhand right, so essentially countering the southpaw left with the overhand right. Um, actually, even though it's a different uh, size dynamic, I pointed this out in the uh, first uh, Joshua Usyk fight, which is when. Joshua was trying to time Usyk's uh, left uh, backhand with his own right backhand. So, obviously, different uh, size dynamic here anyway. Um, but similar kind of idea. Uh, Ty, at one point, whiffs on a, on a low kick and then plants down into southpaw. Tries to get the right hand off uh, from southpaw stand. So, as, as a right hook, doesn't really uh, work out for him. As we see, as the second round goes on, Gunn's sort of uh, very much content to do what he's doing at range. And what Ty does is... He then doubles up. So he throws the right hand, which kind of whiffs, but he just moves Garn, herds him over uh, to Garn's own left with his with his left hook, and then bops him with a right hand. So once he starts punching a combination, he's got a better chance of sort of overloading Garn's defensive radar, and he does. And uh, Garn responds brilliantly. He's tired. He seems hurt um, or stunned rather than tired. Um, he's sort of backpedaling around. Ty is not stepping on the gas. He's not pressuring overtly he's following him around probably should have unloaded the kitchen sink on him uh, but gives Garn enough time and space to fire off that left body kick and that completely changes the tide of the fight and I love how Cyril Garn responded he hurts him in the body kick he chases him hits him with a flying knee in the gut then hits him with a body shot um, the interceptor knee from Garn was beautiful uh, throughout but the way he jumped on Tai Tuivasa when he hurt him, showed exactly what Tai Tuivasa should have done to Cyril Garn when he had him hurt. So he doesn't really have that 
in his arsenal. He's essentially a kind of uh, fast-handed, you know, brawler type, whereas Garn intelligently pressured. Actually, I really like that from Garn. He tends to be a really impressive finisher as it is. Um, but I just think, you know, if you allow him to be passive, he will be. Um, I like the fact that he seems... I've, one of my criticisms before of Garn is that he seems more content to box out of one stance and kick out of another, and he seemed to be a bit more efficient in both phases, in both stances in this fight. What was great about these first two rounds is we see Tai Tuovasa trying to get something going. He gets it going. Garn responds in kind. And then Garn, in the third round, takes that, takes the ball by the horns and completely runs with it in terms of building upon what was successful in round two. And we see the full diversity of his kicking game. Uh, we actually saw it throughout the whole fight, inside, outside, low kicks, uh, the snap kick and the teep to the body, the body, the round body kick. And in the third round, when he's got Ty thinking about these kicks, because he's landing them at will, essentially, then he brings in the high kick. And I don't know how Ty Tuovasa took that. Um, and I do wonder whether that's, What's uh, added to this Mark Hunt loving we've had in on on Twitter the last couple of days? If if you follow me on there, um, a lot of people sharing clips of Mark Hunt because we had this before when Crocop deaded Mark Hunt and he got back up. Um, Ty is not on Mark Hunt's level. They used to train together, and I think Ty would be the first one to admit that. Um, but he's got similar sort of qualities in terms of his toughness. But Gunn did not let him off the hook once he had him, uh, basically just doing whatever he wanted in terms of the kicks. Ty then got desperate, tried to close distance uh, haphazardly, and Garn was able to step back, crack him with a counter, and, and punch, uh, left uh, counter punch, and then finish him off. Sloppy finish, but I like how Garn, as I was saying about the second round, I like how when Garn sends his blood, he tries to finish, he goes for it. Um, really, really impressive. Sort of, you know, in the Ngannou fight, he was, in my opinion, he was too passive. I get it, you're scared of getting bopped. Um, by the big dude. Um, I actually think Garn might be improving. We might have more to see from him. Love the diversity of his of his kicking game. Um, like the fact that he can. Yeah, he's got he's got a really lovely jab. Don't get me wrong, but starting to really work the boxing from both stances. Um, still need to see more from him in terms of grappling. That was his downfall last time. But we want interesting heavyweights. Who am I to denigrate one of the few interesting heavyweights we have? Um, big dude, fast for his size. Can't really find fault with him, can I? You know, moan uh, about and, and malign the heavyweights all the time. How can I possibly have uh, take umbrage of one that is somewhat interesting? As I say, he's not perfect. Who is at that size? But um, very interesting. And the best thing about this fight, you know, being French, um, is the atmosphere. And it was absolutely unbelievable. Makes me want the UFC to go back to France more often. It had that kind of football atmosphere that we. Uh, Probably more synonymous with, with MMA and boxing in in the UK, um, which I don't really like because it's quite a loutish sort of thing. Maybe lost in translation. It didn't seem like that to me. It seemed a bit more, uh, I don't know, just had, a, had, a, had a touch of French class. I'm sure my uh, my French mates on Twitter will tell me, now they're a bunch of yobbos as well. But um, really like the atmosphere in the main event. It was fucking awesome. And uh, yeah, a, a fun and interesting heavyweight fight from both guys. Don't really rate Taito Avasa too highly. He really is like a, you know, oldie or little version of Mark Hunt. Um, you know, with none of his uh, guile and 
and sort of, you know, how Canny Hunt was at, at drawing out the lead and countering and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't have that kind of offensive diversity um, whatsoever. Uh, but he's a big, strong lad uh, with deceptively fast hands and uh, a absolute stout chin. So, yeah, um, Long may continue to be in some fun fights because... Uh, that's all we need at heavyweight. We need good litmus tests for fighters, and he's just been one for Cyril Gunn, who I'm very intrigued to see. Probably more so than ever, funnily enough. Not going to talk too much about Nasadim Imovov versus uh, Joking Buckley. Obviously, Buckley, inherently flawed fighter anyway. He's not really massively worth talking about um, at length on this podcast. Imovov liked some of the stuff I've seen from him before, but constantly being told by the commentary team, and online by people that I actually do respect that this guy's ready for the upper echelon of £185. Uh, alluding to what I said earlier, even with L, uh, it's one of the uh, least talent-rich divisions right now in terms of depth. I still need to see more from Imovov. Didn't like the looks towards the end of this fight. Thought that uh, he got quite ragged as the fight went on. And uh, yeah... Just, I'm just telling you, I need more data on him before I can really get heavily invested in even talking about him. So, somewhat interesting uh, fighter, somewhat interesting prospect, but I'm not there yet, guys. Um, let me know in the usual places if you think I'm wrong. Maybe I just need to see it from a different perspective, but not quite there yet. And I really want to end the podcast on a positive note because Charles Jordan versus Nathaniel Wood was quality. Jordan is obviously just a walking highlight reel at this point just utterly bizarre action fighter and love to watch him fight but Nathaniel Wood I've never really been sold on I'm telling you I've never been a massive fan of his Done some. he's got some nice work um, he's got some disparate sort of skills that he's trying to put together I thought he really put it together in this fight um, really loved the transitionary clinch work from both um, love Wood's sort of array of uh, trips from the double collar tie tie trips essentially um, and really like the inside work from both guys in this fight. Loved how Wood was getting his right hand off uh, as a counter. Uh, just thought it was a really a fight where he really put together all the facets of his game. And Jordan's unlucky, really, because um, it's a it's a it was a competitive fight, which I thought he was a, a clear loser in. And um, the Burgos fight, which he's just had, he probably should have won. Um, so, really, he's on a sort of bad run when he shouldn't be. Uh, but, you know, he's only, what, 25, 26, 27? Not too old. Um, I think he's a really good, fun action fighter. He could still put it together even even more so. But Wood really, really impressed me. I've got to say, that's the first time I've really looked at Nathaniel Wood and gone, uh, fuck me, you're... Um, you're a quality fighter. I think I think one of the reasons I held it against him is he was called The Prospect. I thought it was a shit uh, name. It's a really shit nickname, that. So I just always thought, nah, you're not a good prospect, in my opinion. Because I'm not going to have you have a shit nickname like that and actually be a good prospect. Um, but he is. Um, probably not got too much to add to his game now, because I think he's early 30s, um, or at least pushing 30. And, you know, I think he's on a, he's on a good run now and, and has shown, uh, because... Uh, the Casey Kenny fight was not at 145, but it's shown that if you lose to John Dodson with a flash knockout that is somewhat debatable, much like TJ Dillashaw, move up a weight because it can really uh, it can really free you. Just run away from John Dodson, everything will be okay. But I think a lesser weight cut is probably helping Wood now. Uh, he's got more chances to focus uh, fully on 
his skill set and uh, I think he's still working with Brad Pickett and yeah and I think uh, yeah really really good stuff and I genuinely can't wait to see his next fight now whereas actually before I'll be perfectly honest with you I was pretty much indifferent on Wood I liked some of the stuff he did as I say just didn't really see it didn't see the full picture and I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong so if you think I've been terribly wrong about anything in this episode you know where to find me on Twitter at CombatCR uh, or you know, hit me up on Patreon if you if you're a patron. Um, one of the benefits of being a patron is that you know if you ever have any questions for me, if you just want to call me out, call me a shithead, say I'm stupid, whatever you want, you can just DM me and ask me whatever the fuck you want, basically. So um, it's one of the very small perks of being a patron. One of the main perks is the exclusive content you get. As I said earlier, there was a big, big episode last week on Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. There's going to be a very good episode and a pretty big episode, I imagine, in the next couple of days. As I say, I've got a few things going on outside of uh, uh, combat sports I've got to deal with. Uh, But I have a day off work this week to try and really push through and finish this uh, Miguel Torres episode, which I think is going to be a really fucking good one. And I'm sure uh, for fans of MMA, for fans of combat sports history, or rather more specifically fans of... MMA history, uh, we'll really dig this episode because it's a fight I love talking about, a fight I think needs to be talked about more, and it's the kind of podcast that you're going to get that from. So again, head on over to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. Again, sorry there wasn't a uh, free episode on this feed uh, last week. There is one now. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at CombatCR. Let me know what you think. Thanks very much, and uh, you'll all be hearing from me soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.